We're continuing this morning in a Ten Commandments series, and we're up to number seven, and that commandment is do not commit adultery. We're going to start with uh, several brief scripture passages, and then we're going to go to a question and answer from uh, our Heidelberg Catechism, a Bible study series that we use and value and, and stand on as a church as an excellent summary of sort of the basics of the faith, including the Ten Commandments. So let's uh, listen to these scripture passages, Matthew 5, 27 to 28. First of all, you have heard it, this is Jesus speaking, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And then 1 Corinthians six eighteen through 20, flee from sexual immorality, all other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. And the third and final text, Ephesians 5, 3 through 4. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather appropriately for our season, thanksgiving. And then this summary of the sweep of Scripture on the seventh commandment. I'll read the question. You please read the answers as we've been doing throughout the series. What does the seventh commandment teach us? Does God in this commandment forbid only such scandalous sins as adultery? So last week we were in the sixth commandment, and we saw there how even non-believers, even for non-believers, the sixth commandment, do not murder, is obvious, carries the highest penalties in our criminal system. But then we get to the very next commandment, do not commit adultery, and there's a completely different perspective out there. This one is basically ridiculed. The world says the idea of, even the idea of adultery is a joke because it's just old-fashioned. Intimate relationships before marriage happen all the time. Non-married couples live together. Society increasingly says people of the same gender can do the same stuff as husbands and wives, and that's just considered fine and dandy. No-fault divorce and remarriage happen all the time. So much that goes contrary to this commandment has been made to look normal. And it's almost impossible to avoid all of this. We see it on TV. We read it in books. See it on the covers of magazines at the grocery store checkout counter. It's dripping all over the Internet. And speaking of the Internet, over half of the daily traffic on the the web is pornography, they say. You think of how many people, how, how much people are on the Internet, how often. 
over half of that time, they estimate, is people viewing pornography. There's obscenity all around us, and yet people act as if God's standards on the matter are obscene. It's all been turned upside down. I don't think it's just that the seventh commandment gets broken in our day. I think it's more like it's smashed to pieces. We could, we could talk about that for a long time. I could give you, and I, I did in my research, found a whole lot more statistics, more detailed statistics on, on the internet, all that stuff. But think with me on this. I, I don't think I got to prove that point to you kind of the days we're living in. Think about this. This is what I want you to think about. Even in the mess of the immorality around us, with the idea of biblical marriage basically being trampled on, God's design still persists. It does. People are so open-minded, but still even unbelievers get very upset if their partner cheats on them. And I kind of think about that, well, how can you be jealous if basically everything's permissible? Well, people do seem to realize that not just anything and everything goes. And people are so open-minded, but yet if two unmarried people are shacking up together, the one can cheat on the other and they don't like it. So there's a breaking of God's design on the one hand saying, we can do kind of whatever we want, but yet there are boundaries. So it's possible to cheat on someone you're not even married to. That's bizarre. People have serial, out-of-marriage, very intimate relationships, one after the other, but they expect exclusivity when they're in each one of these relationships, and they get very jealous if they don't have it. And even in our so-called enlightened age, where supposedly everything goes, everything's permissible, People get all up in arms and very upset about leaders, political leaders or otherwise, who have affairs. So you see what I'm saying? There is still a sense of right and wrong in the midst of all the junk. And it's because there is something in the very structure of creation that pulls people towards marriage and its permanence and its importance in God's design for men and women and love. You older folks remember the 60s and Woodstock, free love? Everyone thought that was the end. Marriage would be done forever. But marriage has persisted. Even in same gender relationships, people are being drawn to God's design in a sense because there is a seeking out of marriage. And and think about it this way too. What is still the ultimate storyline in books and in movies? I think it's this. A man and a woman meet. They fall in love. There might be some issues, some complications. Maybe somebody else comes in picture. But then at the end of the movie, it all works out. Everybody lives happily ever after. No one is happy and content until then. Well, that's God's design. Two thoughts on that. One's a quick one, and then the other one we're going to unpack a little bit. First of all, this should be a tremendous comfort to Christians. Because often when we look at society, 
we tend to see where everything is falling apart, especially on this issue of marriage, the seventh commandment, purity. But the reality is God still has everything in his hand. Marriage is part of the structure of the creation. God created it. He set it up with our first parents, Adam and Eve. Marriage will persist. It will not go away. And as bad as things are from a certain point of view, I am confident that marriage will persist until Jesus returns. And then there in heaven, there is no more marriage or giving a marriage, whatever that exactly means. We're not going to get into that today. Secondly, if this is true, it's a great comfort. Marriage persists. It is persisting. If that is true, why fight it? If God's design persists, why fight it? Why not work with God's plan? Like we talked about with the fourth commandment. Try God's design of a day of worship and rest. Try it. You'll like it. The devil wants us to fight God's ordinances and his plan and his structures for living for us. And we know what happens when you fight God's ordinances. It's not good. In the case of the seventh commandment, going against his design results in broken bonds. It results in disease. It results in heartache. It results in disrespect of women and on and on and on. So why not give in to God's command? He knows what's best. That's what I want to talk about for the rest of our time together, going with God's plan for marriage in the seventh commandment. To do that, we've got to know it. God created marriage, and the Bible shows us what he intended with it. And I want to tick off five or six sort of foundations of marriage. One, it's lifelong. It's lifelong. We almost always read Matthew 19.6 in marriage ceremonies. What God has joined together, let man not separate. And that gets at the lifelong commitment of marriage. In a day where that doesn't seem to be taken seriously, we, as God's people, reaffirm God's design. And that lifelong permanence can only be broken through a partner dying or through unfaithfulness of one of the marriage partners or both, as Jesus says just a little bit later in that same chapter at verse 9. Secondly, marriage is exclusive in God's design. God designed marriage to be an exclusive partnership. The biblical design repeatedly shows us one man, one woman, exclusive to one another, No one else may get in the way, whether that's physically or emotionally. Third, marriage is for companionship and intimacy. Friendship. And as the marriage form I usually use says, marriage is to be a setting within which we may give loving and tender expressions to the desires that God has given us. That ultimate expression of our desires created by God is not intended by God to happen outside of marriage. It's not intended to happen by ourselves alone, but it's to happen between a husband and wife. The Bible says the two shall become one flesh. And the Bible uses the word knowing for this, a husband knowing his wife. And that word knowing helps us get at the full extent of what's going on in God's design for marriage. Knowing helps us get that it's more than something physical. 
going on, as important as that is. But there's a union of, of body and soul and mind and spirit in a very special and mysterious way. And, and that's where we, I think, see our society getting it wrong. It's, it's like people are making it to be so much less than the full, beautiful, and deep thing that God has made it be. And young people, those who aren't married here, because of that, the, the depth of it and the beauty and the mysteriousness of it and how special it is that that word no one gets at. Young people, those who aren't married, that's why you have to set boundaries. Set boundaries in your life for, for how you're going to live this out. This is deep stuff. God intended the ultimate expressions of love only for marriage. His way is best here, just like everywhere else in life. We've got to trust that and go with it. Marriage is also talked about in the Bible as Christians as a place to raise children. It's an ideal environment for children to be born and raised. Now, that it's a place for children to be born and raised, that's not the number one purpose of marriage. I don't believe it is, like you sometimes may hear said out there. But it's very important. It's not number one because not all married couples have children or can have children. But that doesn't make those marriages any less God-honoring, right? And, and of course, there are many situations, too, where both parents aren't present to raise the children. Well, then we trust in God's grace and we trust that he will give the guidance and the grace and the wisdom in a very special way in those families. And I hope and pray that as a church, uh, we can come alongside families like that in a very powerful way too. Marriage is finally, it's a structure, and this is in the marriage form I use too. It's a structure that enriches society and contributes to its orderly function. This was the very first of all of the institutions that are in society, if you think about family, and even before family, marriage. And God set up marriage as foundational for society. I'm very convinced that Christian marriages, with all of their imperfections, no one is perfect, but Christian marriages striving to be built on God's design, seeking his help to do things his way, I believe Christian marriages can and will have a greater impact on our society for the good than almost anything else we can do as believers. And it's because it's in creation and it's such a foundational societal institution. I want to add here that marriage is not for everyone. Some people are called to remain single, and, and that's God's plan for them. Jesus was not married. Paul was not married, who wrote much of the New Testament on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He certainly wasn't married in his ministry, at least. We don't know if he was never married or whether possibly before his ministry his wife died or left him, but he certainly was single during his whole ministry. There's nothing less whole or complete about the life of a single person. In fact, as Paul indicates, there are things that a single person 
can do that are no doubt much better for the kingdom in their life than someone who is married. A big issue in recent years is whether people with same gender attraction should be able to be married to each other. And I believe as Christians, we should be very sensitive and loving and caring on this issue. I've seen views that are very harsh and unloving on this, and I don't believe that's the way. With all love and desire to be understanding and caring, I personally don't think God's design allows marriage for people of same gender attraction to one another. Now, it's not just the outward things related to the seventh commandment, but God also, we saw this in the catechism, God also cares what goes on inside of us, right? And, and I want to share some guidelines. They're from a pastor who lived a while back, a pastor who lived before Katy Perry, before Nicki Minaj. And I think you'll be surprised because I feel like they're really, really relevant. These are for all of us, single, married, young, old. I hope they're a help for you. Let me, let me tick them off. First, pretty simply, be on guard and be very careful. Because when this sin takes hold of your life, sin related to the seventh commandment, it's not easy to get out. Like all sin, it will pull you in. Every sin does that. But especially these sins related to the seventh commandment, purity, impurity, they seem to get you and go deeper and deeper. This sin will pull you in. It will ask for more and more and more. That's reality. So be careful. Be on your guard. Two, this pastor suggests, avoid circumstances and occasions that will stimulate this sin. Whether it's hearing certain things, seeing certain things, certain activities that will lead you down the wrong path. Get out of situations that you know will cause you to fall. Don't go there. Third, he says, if you get an unclean thought shake it off like you would shake off fire on your clothes. Get rid of it that quickly. You know what you do if you got fire on you? You get that off of you. You do whatever it takes. Start thinking immediately about something else. Don't dwell on it. Don't entertain it. Shake it off like you got fire on you. Fourth, he says, guard against idleness. Having idleness kids is having too much time on your hands. If you are busy doing the things you should be doing, you're going to have less opportunity to fall into this sin. And idleness is the cause for all kinds of trouble, all kinds of things. So young people, adults, be busy. Fill your time with useful and productive activities or they're going to get filled with other stuff. Fifth, he says, avoid being with people you know will cause you to fall into this sin. It's pretty straightforward. Sixth, always consider the consequences of this sin. More than any other one, perhaps, this sin gives brief delight and pleasure, but leaves a long and bitter aftertaste in your soul. If you've experienced that long and bitter aftertaste, that's going to help you Keep that in mind, and that's going to help you reject that very brief delight 
that much easier. So think about that, that effect it has on your soul before you sin. Seventh, we're on. Fill yourself with good and pure things. Put off sin, but we also put on Jesus Christ. The final one, that's eight. Pray, create in me a clean heart, O God. This is Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Pray it every day. Pray it. Pray for God's presence, for the Holy Spirit's cleansing and help. And know, too, that if you've fallen in this area, God will forgive you. Sometimes we make such a big deal of these sins compared to other sins that, that we can think, or, or young people or boys and girls can think, if they sin in this area of the seventh command, that's it. My life is done. I'm ruined forever. No, God will forgive you for any sin that needs forgiving. And he makes us pure and clean and holy again by his Holy Spirit. So if a sin is pulling you down, a sin in your life here is pulling you down, go to the Lord and claim what he says in his word, that he gives us clean white garments to wear. That's how the Bible describes the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I want to conclude with two biblical texts, other than the ones we already read, that I think are a big help for this one. 2 Corinthians 5.15, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. A pastor I respect says, our culture tells us, just be yourself. Self-help doctrine says you can be better if you just dig down deep enough. Moralism says be a better person. But the Bible says because of the grace of God, you are a new person. And you can live like it in Jesus with the Holy Spirit's help. So believers, be who you are in Jesus on this commandment too And may you live that out. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. And we live that out in Jesus. One one more thought today. Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The same pastor says, we need to fight desire with desire. We need to fight desire with the greater pleasure of seeking God and knowing him. The best weapon to fight wrongly directed desire is the pleasure of knowing God. And if you read a guy who's written a lot and got a lot of sermons online called John Piper, this stuff isn't from him, but John Piper really, really emphasize that. You can ask Sarah more about that. Her small group read through one of his books. Desiring God is actually the name of his ministry. Psalm 63, God's steadfast love is better than life. We will sin less if we spend less time thinking about our sins and more time focusing on the love and the holiness of God. Focusing on making God our all in all, like we talked about with that first commandment. Filling your time 
with him and not with sin or entertaining temptations. And then with God's grace, with the help of the Christian community, our church together, small groups, sometimes we need extra help with a counselor or extra advice. And if you ever need that, come to me. I'll direct you the right way. But focusing on desiring God and focusing on his love, focusing on his holiness, making him our all in all, then truly all of the rest will start falling into place in your life, including keeping and living out the seventh commandment.